Imagine if you and me, we're the only ones talking about company, right? Say I have 10,000 connections, you have 20,000 connections, it's 30,000. But if every single employee talks about a company, right? Even just 5,000, 2,000, it adds up a lot more. The impact is huge, there's a ripple effect. And more importantly is that it sounds more authentic. It comes from ground up, it's not like a very corporate spin where it comes from the management or HR, right? So, like I said, these days, people are more savvy, people have more access to information, and because of that, people are more skeptical. So if everything's coming from just one, one group of people, it's more one-dimensional, right? Typically, people won't really trust your messaging. But if there are more people talking about your brand, whether it's employees, whether it's candidates who didn't even get the offer, clients or people who just love your brand, for example, imagine how more powerful that could be for your brand and how much more credible that can be, actually. Today, the fight for talent is huge. Why should people join your organization? I'll be talking with Sam Neo on how can you become an employer of choice. Come and join the conversation. Sam, I'm really happy having you at the podcast. Welcome. Thanks for having me, man. Okay, so today you are an entrepreneur, yeah? But you started, you had a corporate mm. job. Can you tell us about that pivotal moment that when there was the, this moment that you said, I'm going to be an entrepreneur? That was about six years ago when I was still in Changi Airport Group. Um, good pay, good bonuses, good environment, pretty much a good and comfortable job. But like I said, comfortable, right? And that got me thinking, why am I so comfortable at, at 29? It was kind of weird because I would imagine that at 29, I should be kind of striving for my career, trying to do more, feeling a bit stressed up, trying to grow and stuff like that. But it felt just too comfortable for some reason. So what happened was I started looking out for answers out there in a community, right? Started writing social media posts, joining local HR community, contributing. Long story short, I was seeking clarity. I managed to find a couple of good mentors to guide me along the way. And that was when I started realizing that what I wanted wasn't just to climb the corporate ladder. It wasn't just about getting a high pay, obviously, being paid well is great, right? But it wasn't the thing I was after. It wasn't the, the driver that kept me going at work. So I realized what I really wanted was actually to build a legacy for myself, mm. for people around me, and really to create impact for the HR community so that HR as a profession is seen no longer as a second tier function. It's seen as something more respected. And what I really hope is that by doing so, right, if I can do something that is beyond myself, beyond the traditional HR, my peers, people below, people after me, right? The next generation of HR people can do even more, even better. And I really hope to inspire more people to join a profession that I believed in. That's how I kind of, you know, came out to the leap of faith. And it was more like starting a movement rather than starting a business. That was my mindset. Because I felt that if I could come out, I could do something different, you know, beyond just administration, beyond just support function in a company. I could show people that HR is beyond what they perceive. The possibilities are in abundance in a sense. So that's why I hope that if an ordinary guy like myself can do more, hopefully it can inspire people to believe that I could do even better. So that's how mm. I kind of started my entrepreneurship journey of sort. Yeah. Mm. Good. So I mean, now you you have your you are an entrepreneur, you build your team, and I mean it's I mean we know as a startup building your team at the beginning mm. it's quite difficult. Yep. Tell us how did you build your team? It started with hiring interns. It was like the most cost-free approach, right? Or rather cost, relatively affordable approach, right? A couple hundred dollars, a thousand dollars a month. It was very manageable and was more ad hoc. 
So when I first started hiring, it was in my second company actually, because my first company was more a consulting company. It was pretty much like a lone ranger and I just roped in partners or consultants were required. So it was manageable. Then I started my second company about two years later, Stories of Asia, where I started you know, hiring people to write content. Basically, that's how we started. Internship, right? So people come in intern, just write content and stuff like that. It started there. And a pivotal movement was then, we were not actually prepared to hire full-time staff, but someone actually wrote in to us saying, we really like what you do. She sent a portfolio of videos and stuff like that. And I thought, as an HR professional, I believe a lot in talent. I personally believe a lot in if you have good talent, you can actually drive business. So at that point in time, we didn't have a specific budget for full-time hire, but I thought, why not just meet the person anyway, right? And when we met her, we loved her. We felt that she, was, she has a lot of value to offer and offer her a job, right? And that's how my employee number one came about. And that was yeah, kind of a pretty amazing journey, which helped us grow a lot over the next couple of years, definitely. Yeah. Mm. And uh, so along the way, I'm sure, I mean, you, you did some, maybe some, some mistakes. What was the one mistake that you, you did and what have you learned? I think one of the biggest mistakes I've learned as a leader is that a leader is not about being nice. Mm. I think one mistake that I had was then I've always approached at the beginning, early days at least, I want to be a nice leader, I want to be well-loved, I want to care for all my employees. It's like I try to be nice in every single thing. But being nice, compromising, it's not always helpful, right? So I had one employee that eventually I had to let her go after a couple of years with us. It was very painful because it all started in the, the, pretty much the second year where she was someone that I valued a lot. You know, I compromised a lot in terms of performance. I thought it was okay, let things go, being very nice, like I said. But eventually it reached a stage where we had to grow faster mm. and she was no longer able to cope and I had to transit her out. Obviously, I managed to find her a better job. She was more well-paid, which I'm really happy for her. But it was, it was a kind of small regret I have actually, in the sense where if I had a better mindset at the beginning, where it's not about being nice, it's about doing the right things for people, whether it's tough decisions, tough love or not, this could have been reversed. I'm not sure whether it's going to be reversed, mm -hmm. but this could potentially be reversed. So to me, that was something that it's still a small, small regret to some extent. I still, you know, knock myself out a little bit on that, but I think it's a lesson learned, a very valuable one, in fact. Yeah. Mm. So, so now I w what I would like to, to, to ask, I see on, on, on social media, you, you talk about your relationship with your, your son and I, I can see that that has been an important moment, I mean, of course, in your life, mm. but also as an entrepreneur. How becoming a father shaped you, you know, or, or what changed for you? A lot, actually, a lot of things. But I think one of the most important things is that it made me more aware of who I want to be and what role model I want to become for my son. I think that's a very big thing, right? I think as a leader, very often we don't quite think about being a role model. We think of just, I need to lead, I need to manage, I need to you know, grow the business and stuff like that. But like it or not, as a leader, people look up to you, at least at the start, right? Until a certain level where you, it's no longer a role model, people just give up and you're no longer just a leader, you're just a manager, for example. But I think as a father, it made me realize that I am a role model of my son. And he's at an age where he learns a lot, he absorbs it like a sponge, right? And anything I do, he picks up really quickly. And I think that's something we don't quite realize, right? Our childhood shapes how we are today, and that starts with parenting, right? How we engage, things we say, how we behave, you know? So it made me a lot more aware about how I want to become a person that he respects, um, someone that, you know, he, he looks up to, and to continue to do good. I think the last thing you want is that when I go out one day or he goes out one day, 
and someone telling, hey, I know your dad, your dad sucks. And it's like, oh my gosh, you know, that, that's something, <laughs> the last thing you want, right? So I think that's where it made me a lot more aware and I think it made me a better person in some sense as well, right? I, I really want to be a, a great person, not just for myself, but also for my son because I want him to feel good about who I am, proud of me and become a greater person to contribute to society. So that mm. shaped me a lot for sure, I would say. Mm. Oh, that's awesome. I really, really like that. Good. Okay, so, so you, you started in corporate, mm. then you, now you launch your your own business and you, you want to leave a legacy, right? Mm. So you've been working a lot on employee branding, attracting uh, talent. Mm. So maybe a good place to start is, is to understand from you. Mm. So what has changed in terms of attracting talents with COVID-19? I would say that with COVID-19, right? we realize that you know, employees have, in a way, interestingly, more options. You, know, you realize that it's no longer just doing a full-time job, being locally in, a, in an office itself, right? But the option of doing freelance jobs, gig jobs, multiple roles, in fact, and working overseas remotely, these are options that somewhat opened up or became more apparent during COVID-19. And I think these days, we're looking at hiring across borders, people have options, which means that it's no longer just a purely an employer market, of course, depending on the, the cycle itself, right? But employees do have options and they know what they're signing up for. Yeah. And of course, there's a lot of review sites, a lot of channels to find out information. Employees have to really be more authentic these days, I feel. Employees need to put a lot more effort in terms of employer branding to really identify, you know, what's the value offering they can give to make it appealing, attractive, yet real. Because the last thing you want is to offer something that you can't, deliver yeah. and that's typically what happens when you say that there's the high expectation when they join there's uh, that's a gap in the reality which creates frustration and that's why people leave mm. so I think it has changed quite a bit especially in the, in the sense where people have more options these days yeah. and people are more savvy in terms of getting information which is lacking in the past probably 20 years ago or so right mm. so you can no longer con them into a job people can do their background checks so easily these days Mm. And where is this going in terms of the future? Do you think this is, is continuing or is there any other trend that is going gonna, is gonna to come? I think moving forward, you'll see probably more employees taking on side gigs, right? I think these days we do see that, of course, a supposedly stable job is no longer as stable as people might think, right? Mm. People might think in the past that government job is stable, but they started going to contract form and then mm. full time. Even a corporate job sounds stable, massive layoffs happening. A startup that's not stable could be relatively more stable than a corporate job. So I would say stability is no longer a thing in some sense. So people will tend to look up more for themselves because they are more knowledgeable these days, like it or not. They have access to information, to roles out there. They can do anything they want and they can mm. find different ways to make an income. And in particular, in today's day and age, where we talk about the next generation and Gen Z itself, you know, work to them is more like a vehicle to get them to where they really want as yeah. a passion. And it's no longer like, really a, a pure identity thing. Yeah. I think in the past, it was more yeah. like, okay, my job defines who I am. But this is no longer, no longer the thing, right? I think to some extent, probably still yes to some people, but the rest is just, it's just a job. You know, I, I want my balance. I just here to earn an income. Uh, for entrepreneurs, probably I want to make an impact. But beyond that, it's, it's a means to an end. It becomes mm. clearer and clearer this day. So they no longer want to compromise things like their mental health, their family, right? And their dreams that perhaps they, they can't pursue outright, but yeah. a corporate job, a stable job could get them there in terms of the financial aspect of it. So I think dynamics changing, partly because of education, knowledge, and access to information. Yeah, 
but that's a huge change, right? Mm. And, and I can see a lot of, I mean, I can see companies, I mean, struggling to adjust to this uh, change. Mm. Maybe you can share with us, uh, what have you seen some of the pitfalls okay. that companies are experiencing now with all that change? I would say the pitfall is that a lot of companies, in particular the bigger ones, yeah. would still assume that they have the advantage against the candidates, oh. right? Where they actually still assume, that, oh, just because I'm a big brand name, right? You have to come to me and it's, it's take it or leave it. I have the bargaining power, right? Which is not true because these days I would say, of course, big brand names still help, which is where the mm. employer branding comes in. But people don't just go purely for the big brands. These days. People are more willing to go, you know, even side gigs, even startups, even unknown brands. What they really focus on these days a lot more is what are you trying to achieve and why, is, why do you exist in the first place? The why becomes more important than just purely a reputable big corporate Fortune 500, Fortune 100 kind of brand itself. Ooh. So basically, I mean, the, uh, people's priorities change, right? Absolutely. And, and, and also, so companies, especially the big ones, mm. they're not able to, I mean, to adjust to this, that people now maybe want different things. Mm. And it's not just because you, you are a big company, you know, as it was before, now people are looking for different things. So it's about how can companies understand what employees want and offer that, right? Yeah, and it's also, it's also a mindset thing, I would say, mm. right? I think, you know, in some of the companies <clears throat> I used to work with, there was, there's some arrogance in terms of, oh, we are an established company, mm. right? It's your loss if you resign. It's your loss if you don't accept my offer, mm. right? They had that kind of mindset, which is, of course, in our terms, a bit old school and in this day and age, I, I don't think it really works these days. Yeah. I mean, think of a, a job opportunity as just like a relationship, right? It's mm. not like when I'm dating, I'm more superior, you have to you know, look up to me and stuff like that. It has to be mutual. There must be value exchange, there must be mutual respect, likability. Likewise, I mean, regardless of whether you're a big or small company, right? The first mm. and foremost, do the candidate actually feel respected? Does the candidate actually feel like, you know, um, you have something to offer me? Is it just like a date where you give me some excitement? I want to commit long term with you. Or is it more like, okay, it's just really not for me, the vibes are off. Mm. And options are available, I say, right? So um, it's not just like in the past where you have information, it's just I'm stuck to this job. Yeah. I don't have a choice, right? I just suck mm -hmm. it up until something better comes. But these days, so many options. Yeah. <clears throat> yeah. Mm. So on, on one side, there's so many options, but also today the competition for talent is huge. So if my, uh, my company, mm. if I want to become an employer of choice today, what do I have to do? Okay, so it goes back to the concept of employer branding, right? But employer branding is not just about putting things on social media, Ooh. right? I think it always starts from understanding what you stand for and what can you truly offer, right? Because every single organization, I mean, starting with the individuals inside, we are unique, mm -hmm. right? Mm -hmm. We may come from similar backgrounds, let's say, oh, we all come from Singapore, we come from, let's say, NUS and stuff like that. But our experiences, our expertise, our philosophy growing mm -hmm. up is very different, right? And that combination of it makes us unique as individuals. And when individual unique, unique individuals and organizations combine, it makes the organization unique as well. Mm. Right? So that's why I think as an organization, when you build your brand, first and foremost, take a look inside. Do an audit to understand how unique you are, what are your uniqueness, right? Mm -hmm. And then start thinking what makes sense, how can I frame it in a way where it makes sense and it's relevant to candidates I'm looking to attract. It's not necessarily just like the so-called the top A plus talents, but mm -hmm. the best fit talent and frame it in a way where it makes sense to them so that you're attracting the right people, which means it's not just about bringing them in, but ensuring that they perform, they thrive, and stay for as long as possible, contributing in a meaningful way. Mm. 
so, so maybe, can you tell us a, like, um, a success story that you've seen um, any company that uh, got it right in exactly what, what you're saying? Now I would say, you know, one of the client partners they work very closely with, like Under Armour, for example, right? You know, we work closely with them. We've seen them grown over the past few years, especially APEC level. Um, they're always true to their brand. I mean, like it's a performance-related mm. culture. Um, it even starts with the way they dress. They don't dress in full suits and tie. They wear, you know, their apparels. They wear sweatpants and stuff like that. It's comfortable and sports-related. So I think it all starts with understanding what a unique proposition is. Who's your target audience? What's your market? What you're trying to sell? And aligning it across all the different touch points. The things you do, the way you, 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 know, you have your value system, the way you dress, the way you engage, the way you measure performance. These are things that you need to start thinking about across different touch points. How do you align all this brand, brand messaging so that it's consistent? So that regardless of who, when they speak with external stakeholders or internal stakeholders, the message is similar, it's consistent. Mm. That is very powerful and very important, actually. Mm. So, and if, so for example, if myself, if I want to start, tell me, where do I start? What is the first thing that I can do? Mm. An audit, an audit, actually. Mm. So auditing in terms of maybe talking to employees for a start, mm. understanding what do they think about a company, mm. right? And what resonates with them, what doesn't resonate with them, right? And also understanding from external perspective, What's the perception from outside as well? Because once you're able to have multiple perspectives, you're able to triangulate, right? Something that makes sense and amplify it. So the idea is about amplifying your strength and slowly closing the gap in terms of what your gaps are. Right? Oh, mm. I understand. So in one of your previous interviews, you mentioned about uh, how to use storytelling, mm. you know, uh, how can companies use storytelling? First, like for you, what it, why is it important to use storytelling, and how can we use storytelling, um, in order to build your employee brand? So storytelling is important because think about this, right? Why do people love stories so much? I mean, it comes in different shapes and forms, right? Mm. Whether it's a book, whether it's a conversation like this, whether it's a movie, for example. I would say if there's only one thing I can attribute to, it's probably emotions, mm. right? Good stories actually pull your heartstring, it connects with you emotionally. You feel something for it, right? Whether it's excitement, fear, sadness, or frustration, whichever that may be, right? And that makes things memorable. It hits mm. you straight to the heart itself, right? And likewise for employer branding itself, a brand is something that you want people to have positive association with. You want people to feel something and feel positively, ideally, right, about it. So why storytelling is important, like I mentioned, because it evokes emotions, mm -hmm. it connects emotionally, and that really helps to connect at a deeper level. Of course, you can talk about all the benefits, the perks, which people, people like at the basic expectation level, right? But beyond that, people typically make decisions not rationally, yeah. right? We buy things out of impulse because we feel something about it. It could be past trauma, it could be past experience that was positive, it could be because someone we like that we want to support or something like that, or because we don't like somebody we decide not to buy the product even though it's the best product in the world. Mm -hmm. So likewise, when it comes to choosing an employer, whether to, to join a company, whether to stay the company, often it's also an emotional decision. It may have the best perks. I hate my boss's face. I'm leaving because it feels bad. I feel like I'm struggling every single day. Even though I paid well, I love to do the work that I do, but I really hate the person. Mm. So I think stories are something that can evoke emotions. It can connect you even deeper. And it all starts from your people, right? A lot of stories, and there are plenty of resources in the company itself, right? I mean, starting from the management, the employees, long-serving staff, new employees, plenty of stories, right? You can easily tease them out. 
The thing is, how do you make sense of the story? Yeah. How do you align it to the overall messaging, which is the employee value proposition that we talk about, to make it more powerful, to back it mm -hmm. up, so that it's not just an empty promise, basically. Mm. And I think that's the, I mean, you hit the, the, the nail on the head. So, how, but how to do that? So first and foremost, like I said, an audit to understand what your value proposition yeah. is, right? Once you're clear of a value proposition, so for example, like our company, we focus a lot on culture of learning, innovation, mm -hmm. mentorship, for example. So we, if you want to bring that out to the market, right? You want, you want to use basically stories of mentoring, stories of innovation to anchor <clears throat> upon it, right? To keep pushing to say, this is what we have, this is our culture, and we are backing it up. It's not just saying we have a culture of mentoring, but um, there's no case study to back it up, you know, kind of mm. thing. So first and foremost, identify the sharp pillars that can help you stand out, mm -hmm. something really confident and something that you really believe in, and then use employee stories or people stories, even stakeholder stories, right? To substantiate that, to bring it to life, to connect at an emotional level. I think that's where it helps to grow your brand quite quickly. Yeah. Mm. Yes, but how can companies connect? Because that's the key, because you have individuals, yep. you know, and you have the company. How do you connect those two? So you need to let employees know what is the, the broad-based frame you're looking at. So for example, mm. if the value like, proposition, like I said, is around innovation, mentoring, for example, and learning, right? We want our employees to help us to articulate that, that branding itself, right? Through their own lens. So the last thing you want is that you force employees to say something that you want them to say, right? You want to give them a broad guide in terms of this is what we're trying to position as a company, but then leveraging on that individual unique lens to tell that story to build that up. And that is something we do a lot with corporate clients in terms of brand advocacy programs or brand ambassador programs. We train them with basic skill sets, we guide them on the do's and don'ts, we reinforce the value proposition, mm. we build campaigns around it for them to activate the branding, the, the lessons they learn. We build a community through mentoring and sustain with subsequent batches itself. So these are some things that we have seen increasingly in the market. People are starting to focus on in terms of building brand advocacy programs so that it's no longer just at a HR or leadership level. Ooh. Everyone is going to be there as an ambassador to spread the word, to say good things. And that makes it more powerful, right? Because mm. imagine if you and me, we're the only ones talking about company, right? Say I have 10,000 connections, you have 20,000 connections, it's 30,000. But if every single employee talks about a company, yeah. right? even just 5,000, 2,000, it adds up a lot more. The impact mm. is huge, there's a ripple effect. And more importantly is that it sounds more authentic. Mm -hmm. It comes from ground up, it's not like a very corporate spin where it comes yeah. from the management or HR, right? So, like I said, these days, people are more savvy, people have more access to information, and because of that, people are more skeptical. Mm -hmm. So if everything's coming from just one, one group of people, it's more one-dimensional, right? Typically, people won't really trust your messaging. Mm. But if there are more people talking about your brand, whether it's employees, whether it's candidates who didn't even get the offer, clients or people who just love your brand, for example. Imagine how more powerful that could be for your brand and how much more credible that can be actually. Yeah. Mm. Do, do you have any, any statistics or stats about what's the impact of getting it right in terms of employee branding? Um, so basically, right, I don't have the specific detail, but what I recall when I had a conversation with one of my clients previously, right, we were talking about how if your employer brand is actually good, I mm -hmm. think on average for those listed companies, I think it's over 50%, it actually affects the shareholder, shareholding price as well. So it's no longer just about recruitment, right, but when employees believe in you, when the brand actually grows, it actually affects the, the bottom and top line. So most people think, oh, employee branding at this moment is more something fluffy for recruitment, but in fact it's not. It's actually a business thing because think about this, a brand is a brand, yeah. right? Personal brand, employer brand, corporate brand. 
let's say I'm an employer of Stories of Asia, mm -hmm. right? I may not be representing Stories of Asia today, but if people know that I rep I'm from Stories of Asia, naturally there'll be some connection that they associate me with, mm. right? And then at the employer brand level, if my candidate experience is bad, I go for interview, the interviewer yeah. sucks. Naturally, if it's a product that I can buy on the market, I'll think twice. If the employer is so horrible, I don't think the product's gonna be good. And vice mm -hmm. versa, right? Let's mm -hmm. say there's a telecoms company, a telco company where all oh, the service is so bad, customer service is so terrible. If there's an opening for a job, chances are I won't refer anyone, yeah. I won't want to apply because like, oh, the people like that, it says mm -hmm. a lot about the culture. So a brand is a brand, and that's why I think it's powerful and double-edged sword as well, right? Mm -hmm. How do you manage your brand at different levels so that it grows? And that's where employer brand is not just about employment, it's also about business, it's also about connection actually. Mm, and how can all these things come together? So I think there must be a lot of communication internally, right? Okay, yeah. It can't yeah. be just, oh, HR is doing your own job, yeah. comms is doing marketing and stuff like that. I think there must be more internal communications involved mm. where everyone is involved in building the brand. Obviously, different departments, different individuals will be spearheading certain projects, right? But I think there must be communication synergy in terms of alignment, how do we mm -hmm. align the messaging, how do we complement each other and not just everyone's doing their own job, there's overlap or even contradiction at worst. Wow. That is really, really good. I learned a lot. And now I have one last question for you. Sure. So I think people ask you a lot of questions. What is, what is one question that no one asks you and you would love to answer? Wow, that's a tough question actually. Probably, probably where, do they, where do I see you know, myself maybe at the end of the journey? So I don't think anyone really asked me that question. I think it's always a question about retrospective, right? Where if you give yourself, a younger self, an advice, you know, what would that be? or where do you see yourself in five to 10 years time, but I think no one really asks about where do I see my end goal itself? Mm. Right? I think that's not something people think about. I mean, if I think about that question, it's back to some you know, analogies that people say, right? It's like, if you were looking at yourself as a, from the top at your funeral, what do you want people to say or who do you yeah. want to attend your funeral, yeah. right? I think for me, I really hope to not just be seen as someone that has you know, success from a financial point of view, but hopefully someone that's made a lot of impact to people's life, mm -hmm. real impact, you know, and hoping that the impact that I created for people mm. is being paid forward. I think that's really what I hope to achieve you know, by, the end of, by the end of the day when I kick the bucket, and that's what I hope to, to see, I hope. Yeah. Mm. That is such a great way to end our conversation. Thank you so much. Thanks I think a lot. You added a lot of uh, value. And, um, and it's very inspiring what you're doing and uh, also the way you want to leave a legacy. So just keep going, keep inspiring us. Thanks a lot. Thank you so much for having me. If you enjoyed this episode and you would like to see more content, don't forget to subscribe.